You know, even, even when the world seems dark and troubled, even when there are things that are very challenging happening around us, even right beside us, it is good to remember the hope of God, right? There are people who don't love the Lord. There are people who don't want to have anything to do with God's hope, and they don't want to have anything to do with the freedom that Christ alone can give. That's their decision, and that can get us down. But the reality is, is there are more and more and more people who are turning to Christ, and we need to remember to celebrate that and be excited about that. And when we have opportunities, we need to celebrate those things together. Now, it's interesting, as we come back into this, into this time of study now, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so if you have a Bible or a device you want to open up to 1 Corinthians 15, we're, we're going to park here for a little bit as we think about what it means to receive life from Christ, even though our bodies die. But first, a little bit of context, because context matters. We need to understand where these messages of the Bible are coming from. So the Apostle Paul was writing to a church in Corinth. Corinth was a big city 2,000 years ago. In the time of Christ and then in the time of Paul, so this is the first century, uh, Corinth was a city of 250,000 what were called free people and then 400,000 slaves. So the population of Corinth was about 650,000 people. That's bigger than Baltimore. It's about the size of Washington, D.C., about the third the size of Philadelphia, if you need to kind of wrap your mind around the size of this town. This was the chief city in Greece in many ways. Lots of business there. Lots of what they would have called culture and wisdom as they sought after kind of the Greek way of thinking through philosophy and wisdom. And in the city of Corinth, there were at least 12 temples to various gods and goddesses. One of the big temples was to the goddess Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. And in fact, in that place, temple prostitution in the name of religion was a big deal. This was a big city with all of the darkness and challenges and evil that comes along with that. But Paul had planted a church there. The Apostle Paul and some others, about 20 years after the time of Jesus, as they were traveling around the world, they planted a church there in Corinth and it was growing and it was doing well. People were understanding that they needed Jesus. They needed the hope of the resurrection. They needed to be forgiven of their sins. And so the church was growing in Corinth and Paul moved on then from Corinth to other cities and other places as the message of Jesus Christ was going around the world. But there got to be a time when Paul was in the city of Ephesus where he began to hear that the church in Corinth, in this big city, little church in a big city, the church he planted there was experiencing division and splits as people argued about how to live out and think through the faith that they had in the world where they lived. Now, some of you can relate, right? You know what it's like to be in a church fellowship. Maybe even it's been here as you've had arguments with people or, or debates or, or maybe just good discussions about, okay, if this is what we believe, how do we live it? If we've got this hope, if we've got this faith in these dark times, how do we express it? Well, those are some of the challenges that were happening in Corinth. Paul had some friends from that town that brought him news. There was also a letter delivered to Paul from Corinth with lots of questions about how to live. So this church in Corinth, it was a church with real belief, but the people that were pretty young in their faith and they were still figuring out a lot of things about what it meant to live for Jesus. So Paul wrote to the Corinthians addressing the reports and the letters, and you can read this whole response. We call it 1 Corinthians. That's this letter in the book that is the Bible. So if you'd like to get some background, go home today and read 1 Corinthians. You can see Paul responding to some of the questions from all those Corinthian people, those Christians who lived in Corinth. 
Last week, I talked about 1 Corinthians 15. Paul, speaking to this group of believers, these people who are trying to figure out how to live, he says in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, what I received, I passed on to you as a matter of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day, and then that he appeared to Cephas, he appeared to the 12, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters. This is all after he rose from the grave. So Paul established that, yes, indeed, Christ was resurrected. And there were lots of witnesses who were still alive who could speak to that. And then Paul said in verse 11, he said, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. So Paul is writing to these believers, reminding them about the resurrection of Christ, because that resurrection power has a lot to say about how they should live and how we should live. In 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12, this is our scripture for the day. Paul has been talking about this faith that these people have been living with. But then he says, but if it's preached, and remember, this is in Corinth, this is in Greece, this is in a time where, where the wisdom and philosophy were highly valued. So people were arguing things all the time. Some were arguing that Christ was resurrected, but people would not be. And so Paul gets into answering their questions as we continue our study here of chapter 15. He says, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection? In other words, it's been preached and you believed our preaching. How can you deny the resurrection? Verse 13, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. In other words, if Christ has been raised, it's possible for people to be raised from the dead. If it's not possible for people to be raised from the dead, Christ, who was a person, was not raised from the dead. This is basic logic, but here's what Paul is laying out. He goes on in verse 14, says, look, if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If we don't have a risen Savior, you've got no Savior at all. And so as Paul continues to write to these people in a small church in the big city, he says more, if we have been if we've been talking about the resurrection of Christ and Christ hasn't been actually resurrected, we are then found to be false witnesses about God for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Paul does this round and round thing. And he says, people, you need to realize Jesus raised from the grave. People can, once they are dead, have real life as well. And so this is the basis of the gospel. Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. This life is not all there is. Life on this earth is not all there is. Life in this body is not all that there is. But that's hard to remember, isn't it? I get swept up in the recent I tend to forget things about the past. Melanie and I have interesting conversations sometimes trying for me to remember what happened, and she's saying, well, of course it happened this way. I love the commercials that were playing during the football season. One of the insurance companies had the, the red challenge flags. Do you want to throw the challenge flag? And so they would have a replay of the conversation. We need that in the Johnson house. Not for Melanie, she's got it all, but just for me, so that in my stubbornness I can be quiet and allow her to remind me how it was. I forget things that happened. I sometimes forget the things that are going to be. I get wrapped up in the things that are happening right now. Happened to me just this week. On Thursday, I was in a meeting in the morning and I got a call from my dentist office. I have an appointment in about six weeks. 
But I'm on the list that if an appointment comes up on a Monday, that's when I'm kind of free to go to the dentist office. If an appointment comes up on a Monday before then, they'll give me a call. And maybe if somebody cancels, I can step in at the last minute because I need to get my teeth cleaned. They called me on Thursday morning. I ignored the call because I was doing something more important. When that meeting was over, I called them back. And in fact, I had two voicemails from them. They said, they said on Monday, April 17th, we have an appointment that opened up at one o'clock in the afternoon. They called back a little bit later. They said, and if that doesn't work for you, we have an appointment at 11 o'clock in the morning. I called Melody back and she was very lovely. But I said, I'm not going to be available to make either of those appointments on Monday. I didn't tell her why. The truth was, is because it's my day off and I'm going to be at home and I don't want to. <laughs> I looked at my calendar. I could make it, but I don't want to. I don't feel like going to the dentist tomorrow. I have things that I'd like to do that include not going to the dentist. <laughs> but if I was thinking a bit long term, and, and, and really there's a part of me that knows I should probably just be a grown up and go and get it done instead of wait, it's, it's always better to have your teeth cleaned sooner rather than later, right? But yet I tend to be a person of the moment. I don't want to go. I've got it scheduled in a couple weeks. I'll do it then when I've gotten myself all ready and all prepared and all resigned to the fact. And I'm not going to want to go then, but I will because I'm a grown up and there are things that I have to do. But I'm not doing it early if I don't have to. Paul is saying to these people in Corinth, he says, some of you are forgetting about the future and you're all living just in the now. But he says, if that's what you're doing, it makes no sense. Because if you're living just in the now, you are forgetting what Christ has done. Christ has died for us so that we can be forgiven of our sins of the past and we can be given hope and peace in this life, but also hope and peace for our life in the future. Paul is writing to these people, trying to tell them that if we're just living for today, we Christians are to be most pitied because the reality is that for many Christians, today is not the greatest day. Our situations are not the greatest situations. Paul was living in a time where people were being persecuted, people were being killed and jailed for their faith. Christians were not overall enjoying great fortune and health. This was not a time where, on the surface, Christianity looked like it was just the greatest thing. But what Paul is saying is if you look over the long run, if you look at the hope that we have in this life that allows us to get through pain, if you look at the promise of resurrection that allows us to know that even after we die, we'll be brought back to life, not on this earth with all of this junk and mess and darkness to deal with, but with Christ in eternity forever. He says, this is the hope that we have. In verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15, indeed, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits is not a thing that we do very much anymore. But in Leviticus 23, the, the Israelites were instructed that when they enter the land that God was giving to them and they began to reap the harvest, the people were supposed to bring the priest a sheaf of the first grain of the harvest. The priest was supposed to take this grain from the first harvest and wave the sheaf before the Lord so that it would be acceptable and then there are some other things the priest is supposed to give a, a sacrifice as a burnt offering. And, and there should be a grain offering and there should be a, a food offering and a drink offering and all these things. And then in Leviticus 23, it says, you must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain. In other words, do not enjoy the harvest at all until you bring this first fruits offering to the priest. That was what the Jewish people understood. And what Paul is saying now, Paul who is steeped in Jewish tradition 
And some of these people in Corinth would have had a little bit of an understanding of some of the Jewish traditions, even though these were Greek people. Paul is saying that that Christ is like that. He is the first to be raised from the dead to be prepared for eternity, whose body is not ever going to die again. He's the first one, and so we're supposed to recognize him as a promise of something yet to come, as a promise of a harvest that will be realized. Verse 21, since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. In Adam, Adam, that one who sinned and who paid the consequence for that, he ushered in death, but now Christ is ushering in life. But each in turn, Paul says there's an order to this, 1 Corinthians 15, 23. First Christ, the firstfruits, he will be resurrected. Then when he comes back, those who belong to him will be resurrected to new life with God. Verse 24, then the end will come. When Christ hands over the kingdom to God after God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That's some of the stuff that's talked about in Revelation. We are in this time now, you and I, where Christ has already been raised, and we're waiting for him to return, for, for us all to be raised then to God. But in this time, Paul writes to these people in Corinth and says, don't lose the hope of the resurrection. Don't lose the hope of new life. This life is not all there is. The last enemy, verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That is after everybody is in heaven where they need to be, death will be wiped away. Verse 27, for he has put everything under his feet. And when it says that everything has been put under him, it's clear this doesn't include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. God's plan is working out through Jesus and through humanity so that even though things are dark and even though our world looks bad, God is still at work. And God is making things work so that all who believe in him will experience his glory one day and God will be all in all. Now there's some really fun stuff in verse 29. If there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead. If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? I'm not going to talk about that anymore today, although I would like to, and I'll touch on it next week. But if any of you are those kind of Bible scholars that just enjoy picking into difficult stuff, look up 1 Corinthians 15, 29, this whole baptism for the dead thing. Like I said, we'll talk about it next week a bit more. But for now, I'm going to move on to verse 30 as in an attempt to wrap up this thought that Paul is writing to these Corinthians. Paul says, as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? See, Paul has put himself on the line to share his faith with the Corinthians. He knows that so many of them in the big city are putting themselves on the line. He says, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Paul says, I face death every day. Just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, well, then let us just eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. 
Come back to your senses as you ought to and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Paul says, look, folks, there is resurrection in Jesus Christ. There is power for those who believe in him. There is new life for all who will follow after him. But he says, Christians, don't be deceived. This life is not all there is. You are made for more than this. And next week, we're going to talk about that some more. We're going to unpack this whole baptized for the dead thing. We're going to unpack this whole I face death every day thing. And we're going to look at the rest of 1 Corinthians 15 to see, so what is life like in Christ? What does it mean to have new life after we've died? What kind of bodies do we have? And, and is, is heaven just some kind of forever chorus thing? Or is, is there something that sounds more attractive to people who don't like music? This is what we're going to talk about next week. So I invite you to keep studying, keep digging in to the hope that Paul has written down here in 1 Corinthians 15 that says there is life in Christ, there is resurrection in Christ, and there is power because of the power of God. Would you pray with me, church? Thank you, God, for this chance that we've had today to remember all the work that you've done and the work that you're doing. Lord, here in this scripture, we see that that you have, by your power, you've allowed for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you've given us hope that we don't have to be stuck just with this life and just with the situation as it is right now. Lord, you've given us hope for the future because of what you've done in the past. And Lord, today we've heard so many testimonies here in our group about, about things that are going on that are exciting and good. And Lord, we've had people come before you with things that are difficult and challenging, putting their hope on display, knowing that you are good, that you are strong, and that you love us. So God, as we move from this place today, help us to remember the amazing things that you've done in the past. Help us to see the good things that you are doing now, and help us to remember the hope of the future that draws us on no matter what tomorrow brings. Lord, help us to see things as you see them. And Lord, help us to continue to be able to overcome and experience your victory, no matter what comes our way. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.